Rise, the Bradford Legal Heritage Plays. Originally written by Jill Arnold, adapted for radio by Lydia Pierce and Paisley Boyd. Sponsored by Broadway House Chambers. The All Rise radio plays are based on court reports of cases heard in Bradford throughout history. This episode features The Well of Deceit, based on a case heard in the 1800s, and Deal or No Deal, based on a case heard in Bradford in 1361. All rise. Good morning, Your Worships. Good morning, Clark. What matters need our attention today? Well, sir, a very interesting case of theft of apples. Scrumping in our great city. Would you Adam and Eve it? Unfortunately, despite the biblical connotations, our defendant is far from saintly. He was less picking pockets and more picking apples. He is thought to have had an eye for the pink ladies and on a desperate evening, the Granny Smiths. The accused is one Thomas Stringer. Mm. Have him brought in. Call Thomas Stringer. Thomas Stringer, do you swear by Almighty God to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do, sir. Thomas Stringer, you are accused of stealing apples from your neighbour, Robert Dawson. How do you plead? Well, not guilty. I'm innocent, sir. Your worships, as the facts of this case unfold, I will endeavour to prove to you that not only is this man guilty, but the circumstances around this thievery are such that no possible excuse or mitigation could be given for his actions. There are several prosecution witnesses to this appalling incident. The complainant, Robert Dawson, his wife and a passerby. They will give their version of events shortly, your worships, but first... I will outline the facts of this case. Robert Dawson, the complainant, was awoken in the middle of the night by ungodly sounds coming from his orchard. He and his wife investigated those noises to find Mrs. Stringer stuck down their well. Are you saying that the defendant was down inside the draw well? Yes, sir, that is correct. But why would he be down the well? All will become clear, sir. Mr. Dawson helped the offender out of the draw well. Fortunately for Mr. Stringer, his injuries were only minor, just a bruised cox and a dent to his pippins. After helping him out of the well, Mr. Dawson discovered Stringer's pockets to be stuffed with apples. There were also apples all around him in the bottom of the well. It may not be amiss to observe that the pilferer is in fact a clothier, and sir, is reported to be worth four or £500. Four or £500? Yes, indeed, sir. Sadly, I hear that thieves are common blight on many a green-fingered Bradfordian gardener. But why a man of such wealth would feel the need to steal Mr Dawson's crop is beyond me. Your worships, Mr Keeley here for the defence. All is not what it seems. I too have a witness, Mrs Stringer, the defendant's wife, will help explain the whole misunderstanding. And how many witnesses do we have to this unfortunate episode? Four in total, sir. Well, let's have them all in then. Let's proceed with this farce. Call to the courtroom. Robert Dawson, Rebecca Dawson, Gertrude Jones and Charlotte Stringer. 
Robert Dawson, Rebecca Dawson, Gertrude Jones and Charlotte Stringer. Can you confirm your names? And do you swear by almighty God to speak the truth and only the truth? Robert Dawson and I speak only the truth. Rebecca Dawson and yes sir. Gertrude Jones and yes I do. Charlotte Stringer and yes sir, just the truth. Your worships, as you have heard, Mr Stringer is not a poor man. He is a well-respected clothier. The incident on that evening was completely misinterpreted. Take a look at Mr Stringer. Does he look like a thief? A bad apple? Does he look rotten to the core? No. He's a beloved pillar of the community. He'd been observing Mr Dawson's orchard and realised that many apples fell to the floor, where they were left to rot and were therefore wasted. He could not bear this and felt it was a civic or even neighbourly duty to remove the fruit and put it to use. Mr Stringer, I'm intrigued. Pray tell us more. Uh, yes, sir. Um, I'd noticed the apples falling to the ground and rotting. I was concerned that they were going to waste, so I thought I would collect them before they became an unsightly mess. And is it true, Mr Stringer, that you are somewhat restricted on your own property? Ah, uh, yes, sir. Whilst I have a lovely property next door, I only have a yard and no fruit trees. So, Mr Stringer, your intentions were honourable, were they not? Indeed, sir. I was looking for apples when I was surprised by Mrs Dorson. In the shock of the moment, I fell backwards into the well. Mr Stringer, please tell the court what you intended to do with the wasted or rotten fruit you were so kindly removing from the Dorson property. I make cider, sir. Cider? Yes, sir, an alcoholic drink made from the pressing and fermentation of apples. I know what that is, you stupid man. So when pressed for the truth, your reasoning here is cider? Yes, sir, I make cider. It's very good. Mm. Sounds like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for an excuse for your actions. Mrs Stringer, your husband is a good, honest, hard-working man, is he not? Oh yes, he's an incredibly hard-working He's often late home after working late into the evening and he makes lovely cider. Anyone who tries it can't get enough of it. Even Mrs Dawson, the complainant's wife. She pops round at all times of night and day for a cheeky snifter. Mrs Stringer, how long has your husband been making cider? Oh, for years, sir. And where do you think the fruit for this beverage was obtained from? To be honest, I've never really thought about it. I never realised he was sampling the forbidden fruits next door. Mr Dawson, tell us exactly what did you see? Well, I was about to retire to bed when I heard screaming or wailing from outside. At first, I thought it was a pair of foxes. But when I heard a male voice, I ran to the window. My wife must have been alerted before me. As I could see, she was already down by the well in her nightgown. As I lifted the light to the window, I saw a flurry of activity by the well. There was a male shout and a thud, so I ran outside too. What did you see when you got outside? Well, Rebecca, my wife, was already next to the well. She had clearly dashed outside in a panic as she was all red and flustered. She could barely get her words out. She was pointing down the well and around at the apples on the floor, shouting about how he must have been stealing them. 
Mrs. Dawson, what did you see? Uh, yes, uh, I'd woken in the night and uh, gone downstairs. Uh, I noticed something in the orchard, so I went out to investigate. Once outside, I, I saw this striking figure of Mr. Stringer in the orchard, illuminated only by the moonlight. I was so shocked at finding him there, reclining, resplendent against the well. Reclining? Resplendent? Illuminated by the moonlight? You do well to remember that we're not in Howarth, and that Mr. Stringer is not Heathcliff. He's a very naughty boy. <coughs> uh, yes, sir. Uh, sorry, sir. Um, well, I was so surprised that I shouted out loud, at which point he must have slipped and fallen into the well. And that's when I noticed all the apples all around him. I was looking over the side of the well when Robert appeared next to me. And Mr Dawson, what happened then? I was looking down the well to see a panicked Mr Stringer flapping around in the bottom of my well, apples bobbing around him. I'm not surprised my Rebecca was so traumatised by the whole thing. Dirty scoundrel wasn't even wearing any trousers. Uh, yes, it's, it's true. I'm, I'm an awfully sensitive soul. Although fortunately, it's extremely dark at the bottom of the well, so I had to look very hard to be so terribly upset. I managed to pull him out with the rope, wet through he was, blooming heavy. And Gertrude Jones, I believe you witnessed the event also. Oh yes, sir. I've seen Mr Stringer early in the day, cutting quite a figure in the marketplace. Our eyes locked over the last cut of tripe in Rawson's and he invited me to pay a visit that evening to try some of his cider. From what I hear, half the women in Bradford have sampled Mr Stringer's cider at one time or another. I was on my way to his house when I heard the commotion in the Dawson's orchard. I think we're starting to get the picture here. Sounds like Mr Stringer's cider brings all the girls to the yard. I could hear giggling, so I looked over the wall and I could see Mr Stringer and Mrs Dawson near the well. Looked like they were having a wonderful time. You know, what do you call it? Crumping. If that's what you want to call it. Suddenly the bedroom window in the Dawson's house lit up. There was a flurry of panic and in a blink, Mr Stringer had fallen backwards down the well. Rebecca was flapping around, rearranging her nightdress and throwing apples down the well. May I just say, sir, that I would be more than agreeable to supply the Dawson family with a flagon or two of my very finest cider in order to resolve this matter. Uh, Mr. Stringer, I think you've been quite generous enough with your cider. Sorry, sir. I just wanted to make amends. Too late for that, I fear. I feel quite confident that a clear and incriminating picture has been painted. You've heard from all the witnesses and the evidence is overwhelming. This man is without shame or embarrassment. He unlawfully entered Mr. Dawson's property and proceeded to take what wasn't his. I approve without doubt that Mr. Stringer is guilty of pilfering and ask your worships to punish him accordingly. Uh, maybe a stint in the stocks being pelted with rotten fruit would suit. The worships. Mr. Stringer did enter the Dawson property. Yes, he removed a quantity of apples and yes, he intended to put the rotten fruit to some use, but he did so without malice and with a clear conscience. His intentions were honourable, your worships. He was simply sampling the forbidden fruit. He had no intention of permanently depriving Mr Dawson. He is remorseful for his actions and the inconvenience caused to all parties. Your Worships, I feel with this knowledge, you must find Mr Stringer not guilty. Thank you. 
I think we've heard enough. Thomas Stringer, is it true, sir, that your personal assets are estimated at between four and five hundred pounds? Uh, well, um, quite possibly, sir. I'm not quite sure of the exact amount. Nevertheless, sir, you are a rich and prosperous individual, and your capital is such that you cannot estimate its entirety within a hundred pounds. And yet, you stand in front of us today as no more than a common thief. Happy to help himself to whatever he fancied. There is no excuse for such disgraceful, and might I say, delinquent behaviour. You, sir, are a bad apple. Therefore, Thomas Stringer, you shall be flogged. You will be taken from this court, stripped to the waist, and flogged at a cart's tail, along the length of Ivegut, until such time as your back be bloody. Take him away. Silence, all right. Court's now in session. Good day, sir. Now, what have you brought before us on this fine morning? I don't think you're going to like our next case, sir. Why? Who's defending it? It's not that, sir. It's a civil dispute. What problem, then? It concerns claimant Joseph Barker, who it appears sold his wife. Hmm. Bit unusual for these courts, but not unheard of over to the side at Pennines, I understand. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, sir, in exchange for a pig. My lord. How despicable. Hmm. Uh, well, the issue in dispute here is whether the claimant sold his wife in exchange for a pig, which is a defendant's case, or whether he loaned his wife for a limited time in exchange for Pick, which is what Mr. Barker claims. He's suing Mr. and Mrs. Page, who are the other parties in this unusual deal, for the return of his wife. Oh, and I suppose that claimant, the instigator of this transaction, has graced us with his presence this morning. Oh, yes, sir. That would be Joseph Barker, represented by the lawyer Henry Garrett. Call Joseph Barker to the floor. this the fella? Yes sir, that's him. Joseph Barker, do you swear by almighty God and the pain of your immortal soul to speak the truth? Oh, I will speak the truth, your highness, I will. Now then, who appears against this man? Well sir, that would be John Page and his wife Agnes. Uh, sir, they appear through their lawyer, Peter Godson. And the whereabouts of the wife, who's at the heart of this transaction? Uh, yes, sir, that would be Matilda Barker, and she'll appear alongside John and Agnes Page. Very well, very well. Have them all brought in. Call John Page, Agnes Page, and uh, Matilda Barker. John Page, Agnes Page, and Matilda Barker. Uh, can you confirm your names and swear by Almighty God and the pain of your immortal soul to speak the truth? John Page, I will speak the truth. Agnes Page, and I will also speak the truth. Oh, oh yes, sir, yes, Miss Hilda Barker, and I always speak the truth. Good morning, your warships. Henry Garrett here for the claimant. The facts of this rather unusual case are that Mr Barker entered into a casual and mutual agreement with Mr and Mrs Page. 
the agreement you see being that Joseph Barker's wife, Matilda, would be on temporary loan to Agnes and John Page for a few weeks. The reasoning being that they would have had extra help around the farmland with the dairy and cheese making. In return, the Pages gave one of their prized pigs to Mr. Barker as a gesture of thanks and goodwill. This was never the final sale. There was no contract here. Mr. Barker allowed sufficient time to pass and then approached John and Agnes Page to arrange the welcome return of his beloved wife. Oh, gosh. Mr. Godson. Mr. Godson. Nonsense, sir. A complete falsehood. This man entered into a contract for sale, a legally binding agreement. He thought so little of his spouse and her moral or social value that he eagerly and without hesitation became agreeable to a somewhat unusual but sound business transaction. In short, sir, he sold his wife for a pig to the value of three shillings. You exchanged your wife for a farm animal, Mr. Barker. Oh, no, sir, no, no. Uh, sir, Mr. Joseph Barker was initially delighted. He was like a pig in muck. He was happy with the bargain and expressed his anticipation of the savoury and delicious banquets he'd be hosting for himself. At no time was there any mention of withdrawal or his wife returning to him. And, your worships, I have a witness to the whole verbal contract, one Alice Cookson, the barmaid of the tavern who happened to be no more than a yard away and who witnessed the whole event. Obje objection! Objection! Hambush! Hambush witness! Hambush! Nonsense. We are happy to hear from her. Have her brought in immediately. Call Alice Cookson. Alice Cookson. Do you swear by Almighty God and the pain of your immortal soul to speak the truth? I will do that, sir. Stand there, madam, and we will speak to you in good time. Joseph Barker, did you or did you not enter into an agreement with one Agnes Page and John Page? And in that agreement, you exchanged your own wife, the aforementioned Matilda, for a pig to the value of three shillings. Your Highnesses, there has been a terrible misunderstanding. I stand here today in front of you as a humble and respectful servant. I can only be guilty of being too generous and open with my personal property. No bargain was struck, sir, but a gentleman's agreement on the short-term loan of my dear lady wife, Matilda. May it please your warships, stepping back a moment from what we're hearing, it's important to understand that my client is relying on the case settled law of Redford, V. Harlison, and more, in which it was established that the loans of one's wife can be part of a legal contract. Mr. Barker, did you take a pig in exchange for your wife, Matilda? I did not exchange my wife for the pig, but I graciously accepted the animal as payment in kind for my selfless generosity towards John and Agnes Page. And pray tell. Mr. and Mrs. Page, what do you have to say on this matter? Well, sir, Mr. Barker is being less than frank. Further, I say you have been deceived and hoodwinked this morning. Mr. Barker has given you all the wrong tale. We met in a market square on a few occasions and took a tankard of ale or two together. 
That's correct, sir. And Joseph Barker was very quick to befriend Agnes and myself. He told us about his wife, Matilda, and he, he said he could not afford to keep her and that she complained constantly about his behaviour. Well, it soon became apparent that the Barkers had an unhealthy and miserable union. He was a glutton, sir, and didn't disguise his eye for the ladies. He said if he could exchange Matilda for something worthwhile, he'd gladly do it without question or regret. It got us thinking, sir. Well, we have farmland and the work is never done and we always need an extra pair of hands. So, whose suggestion was it to propose the swap for the pig? Being the practical type, I, I thought, hmm, what might Joseph Barker consider to be of value to him? Yes, sir. So we offered one of our finest porkers, a beauty he was. Ah, I'm beginning to get the picture now. Oh, it was only a temporary arrangement. I always wanted Malin uh, Matilda back and I offered to pay for the pig. And Alice, did you witness transaction? That I did, sir. I've had business with Joseph Barker before, and I know he likes his meat. He's bad-tempered too, a proper brat, worst of all of my customers. Tell the court what you heard and saw, madam. Madam? I like the sound of that. Well, I was partaking of a tankard of ale when I saw Mr Barker and his wife sat at a neighbour table. Then those two came along. Mr and Mrs Page, that is? Yeah. They came along with a pig on a rope, massive it was, and sat down at the same table. Now, I'm not one for listening into other folks' business, but I couldn't help overhearing. What did you overhear? Him right there. Mr Barker? Yeah, Mr Barker. He said take her. No, being his wife, Matilda. Yeah, his wife. She said she's all yours. And he said you better work hard for them or they'll get rid of you too. Your worships, your worships. Uh, stepping back from this moment, we cannot be entirely sure of the exact dialogue between the parties. It was some time ago, and Miss Cookson is perhaps not the best and or most reliable witness. I know he's a bad man. The pig and Mrs Barker deserve better. Here, here. Miss Cookson, did you actually see the two gentlemen or Alice shake hands and finalise this deal? That I did, sir. Barker spat on his palm and shook hands with them both, grabbed the pig by the rope and sat down and finished his ale. He watched Mr Page and his wife walk away over the hill and then he went off in the other direction with a pig. Well, I assume he walked. The pig was so big he could have ridden at home. I'd like to hear from Matilda Barker, the unfortunate piggy in the middle of this ridiculous transaction. Here, here, I'm here, sir. What is your view of this bizarre arrangement? Well, sir, I didn't have much to say on the matter, on account of Mr Barker's temperament and all, but I will say that he's a bully, and he's mistreated me for as long as I've been his wife. When he told me what he'd done and that I was to be exchanged for a pig and such, well, I was very disheartened to say the least. My value had been confirmed, but over the next few days, I began to embrace the idea and started to feel sorry for the pig. Uh, and how did uh, your new lodgings compare, madam? Oh, most acceptable, sir. John and Alice have been so very kind to me. They've treated me like one of their own. The work is hard, but the rewards are tenfold. Matilda, Matilda, you did know that it was always accepted that you would be returned to your husband after this intermission. No, oh no, 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 sir. That was never a consideration. My departure was final. Mr Barker, what was your understanding of this? That my sweetheart will be returned to me. I should never have agreed to this. I need that woman. I need her now. She belongs to me. Oh, no, husband. The pig belongs to you, not I. 
Your Worships, there's something we have omitted to mention, and I believe it is of paramount importance to the situation. What, sir? Do tell. The whereabouts of the aforementioned animal, sir. The pig himself. You're not expecting the pig to give evidence, are you? Not exactly, sir, but perhaps in spirit. If you look over here, your worships, at this big plate of meat, you'll observe exactly what is left of the fellow, and I believe that is evidence enough. Mr Barker quite willingly and greedily indulged himself on the meat and profits from the meat until such a time that he realised that the spoils of his wicked business deal were drawing to an end. At this time, and not a moment before, did he then consider the return of his wife, and so reneged on the deal itself. He is, sir, a dishonourable man with an insatiable desire for flesh. No, sir, I'm just a poor man with needs, and I need my little Matilda, and she needs me. Very well. I, I think we've heard it off. Stand up, John Page. I know we are living in modern times but I'm not sure that purchasing Matilda Barker in that way was entirely ethical. However, you and your wife have acted with dignity and compassion. You have treated Matilda Barker well, and you have adhered to your part of the bargain. As for you, Joseph Barker, the bench feel that you have behaved in a selfish, greedy and manipulative manner. You wanted to have your pig and to eat it too. It was only when the meat and the profits ran out that you realised what you had given up and wanted it back. We believe that this was indeed a contract for sale, which you, Mr Barker, tried then to go back upon. In addition, we find that your wife was not your property to be sold for a pig. Therefore, we order you to pay three shillings to John and Agnes Page as payment for the pig that you have consumed. And you will also pay a tuppence tax. But what about my wife? Matilda Barker is at your mercy. Do you want to return to your husband? Oh no, sir. I am more than content with my new life and family compared to living with that swine in his pigsty of a home. But that's if the pages still need me. Yes. Oh, yes, 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 definitely. of course. Tilda Barker, we feel that you and the pig have had a lucky escape. Sergeant to arms, there is no merit in allowing that meat to go to waste. Take it to my chambers. All rise. You have been listening to All Rise, the Bradford Legal Heritage Plays. Originally written by Jill Arnold, adapted for radio by Lydia Pierce and Paisley Boyd. Original music by Eric Linfoot. Sponsored by Broadway House Chambers. The plays are based on court reports of cases heard in Bradford throughout history. Today you have heard Well of Deceit and Deal or No Deal. Well of Deceit was based on a case heard in the 1800s. The chair was played by Sean Morris Armitage, Thomas Stringer, Paul Canfield, Charlotte Stringer, Trisha Tillotson, Robert Dawson, Mardev Singh, Rebecca Dawson, Danielle Gilmore, Gertrude Jones, Diane Allen, Prosecution Attorney, Shiraz Hussein, 
defence attorney Chris Moran and the clerk to the court was Holly Gervin. Deal or No Deal was based on a case heard in 1361. The chair was played by Ian Howard, John Page by Fenn Greatly Hirsch, Agnes Page, Nazreen Karim, Joseph Barker, Jodie Beaumont, Matilda Barker, Ali Coward, Peter Godson Defence Lawyer by Mark Baxendale, Henry Garrett Claimant Lawyer, Saf Salem, Alice Cookson Witness, Hafsa Hussein, and the clerk to the court was played by Andrew Galliford Yates. All Rise, the Bradford Legal Heritage Plays have been recorded as part of the Bradford Fringe Festival 2020. To find out more about the Bradford Fringe Festival, please visit bradfordfringe.co.uk or search for Bradford Fringe on Facebook, Spotify or Instagram. If you have enjoyed these productions, please consider donating to the Bradford Fringe Crowdfunder.